40 years ago, a series of grim deaths in the Chicago area gripped the nation, changing how American consumers buy over-the-counter medicine and other consumable goods forever. It revealed an ugly, sadistic side of humanity and also impacted the way public health officials respond to crisis situations from then on. This is the Chicago Tylenol Murders. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. In the early morning hours of September 28, 1982, a 12-year-old Elk Grove Village resident named Mary Kellerman was given a Tylenol capsule by her parents following complaints of a sore throat. No one could have imagined that within a few hours, Mary would be dead. Her parents decided to keep her home from school that day, and after giving her the Tylenol, heard her go into the bathroom, the door closed, and then they heard something drop. Her dad went to the bathroom door and called out, Mary. Are you okay? There was no answer, so he called again. Mary, are you okay? There was still no answer. So he opened the bathroom door and the little girl was on the floor unconscious. She was still in her pajamas. Paramedics threw everything in their drug boxes at the girl, but nothing made a difference. At 9.56 a.m., Mary Kellerman was pronounced dead at Alexian Brothers Medical Center in Elk Grove Village. She had died of a sudden cardiac arrest her body was sent to the medical examiner's office for an autopsy because of her age and circumstances. Nick Pichos, investigator with Cook County's medical examiner's office, did a phone interview with the father, and the police went to the house and confirmed the same story. Later that same day, Adam Janis, a 27-year-old postal worker in Arlington Heights, had taken a sick day. He went to pick up his kids from preschool and stopped at a shop called The Jewel to get some Tylenol. He came home, had some lunch, and said, quote, I'm going to take two Tylenol and lie down. A couple of minutes later, he came staggering into the kitchen and collapsed. He was rushed to the hospital but died, having also suffered from sudden cardiac arrest. Dr. Thomas Kim, medical director of Northwest Community Hospital's intensive care unit, had this to say of Adam's death. Quote, Our first job is to resuscitate, and we couldn't even do that. His heart just would not resuscitate. I signed Janice out as probable cardiac death. I explained to the family what had happened, but it was hard to understand how someone so healthy could just suddenly suffer a heart attack and no one could tell you why." End quote. Adam's wife, Teresa, was there at the hospital along with Adam's parents and a bunch of other family members. When the family finally left the hospital, they didn't go back to their home. They went back to Adam's house in Arlington Heights. The bottle of Tylenol was still sitting out on the counter where Adam had left it. We'll get back to the Janus family in a minute. Now, around 3.15 a.m., Mary McFarland, 31, is rushed to Good Samaritan Hospital in Downers Grove after having taken Tylenol for a headache while at work and then passing out. At 3.45 p.m. in another suburb of Chicago, Mary Lynn Reiner, 27, is finally home just a day after giving birth to her fourth child. Not feeling well, she takes some Tylenol and collapses. 
Ed Reiner, Mary's husband, calls an ambulance, and she is rushed to Central DuPage Hospital in Winfield, a different hospital than all of the rest. Both women were kept on life support but were pronounced dead early the following morning. Then, in a grim twist of fate, at about 5 p.m., Adam Janice's brother, Stanley, and sister-in-law, Teresa, were rushed back to the same hospital Adam had been in just hours after his passing. They were at Adam's home to support and share company with family members after hearing about Adam's passing. Both were bothered by pain and decided to take some of the same Tylenol that Adam had taken. Dr. Kim recalls that he was putting on his blazer to leave around 5.30 when a nurse came rushing in and told him that they were bringing the Janice family back. He assumed it was probably because the parents were very upset. But when the nurse told him, no, it's his brother, they are doing CPR and they are working on his wife too. That's when I took my blazer off, says Dr. Kim. Stanley was pronounced dead by 8.15 p.m. and Teresa was put on life support but was taken off by Friday, October 1st. Around 9.30 p.m., also on September 28th, a flight attendant returning from Vegas, 35-year-old Paula Prince, stops at the Walgreens on North Wells Street to buy some Tylenol. It was the only purchase caught on the very scarce CCTV footage at the time. She then heads home to her apartment where she takes the medication and suffers the same fate as the other victims. She is not rushed to the hospital as she is alone when this happens and is only discovered when she fails to show up for lunch with her sister on October 1st. Her sister calls the police to do a well check and she is found dead in her apartment. She had taken the Tylenol at the bathroom counter and was dead before she made it to the bathroom door. It was quickly established that the link among all the victims was consumption of Tylenol tablets shortly before death, and authorities sent off medication bottles found in homes of the deceased for testing. When the test results came back, it was found that some of the acetaminophen pills in the containers had been swapped with tablets containing potassium cyanide, over a thousand times higher than the lethal amount. Potassium cyanide is a chemical asphyxiant that blocks the utilization of oxygen by red blood cells meaning you can be in an atmosphere with plenty of oxygen and you can breathe it in, but it doesn't get picked up by the red blood cells, so you asphyxiate from inside your veins. It causes brain damage and cardiac arrest, with the effects being almost immediate and irreversible. So even if the victims had taken the medication in the hospital lobby, there still would have been essentially nothing anyone could have done to save them. The mysterious deaths were eventually connected to each other and raised flags for local officials and healthcare providers as it became apparent that as much as this was a broad-ranging murder investigation, it was also a public health crisis. Within 48 hours, Mary Jane Byrne, with the cooperation of local law enforcement, health officials, and universities, had all Tylenol products pulled from local grocers and pharmacies and shipped off to various laboratories in the area for integrity testing. Area residents were instructed to dispose of any Tylenol products that they had at home, and Johnson & Johnson, the manufacturer of Tylenol, issued a nationwide recall on October 5th. This caused mass panic and a considerable amount of chaos in the area and across the nation. The poison control hotline phone was ringing off the hook with calls from concerned consumers who thought they might have been poisoned. If you took it and you're calling me, don't worry, but don't take any more was the response operators came to repeat thousands of times. Thankfully, the focus for the first couple of days was not so much on catching the perpetrators as it was to protect the public, with the event eventually becoming a model for crisis management in the future. 
Johnson & Johnson's recall of all Tylenol products nationwide, which was around 31 million bottles, cost the company about $100 million in profit, and many believed that the Tylenol name would be dead in a year, since trust in the brand had been lost. But the company's handling of the crisis and the changes they implemented in their packaging standards actually helped propel the company back to the number one trusted brand within just a few years. All the chaos and panic went on for a couple of weeks though, with it becoming a media circus because by now it was not only a Chicago story, it was an international story. Tip hotlines were also set up. People were calling day and night with leads, some meaningful, some preposterous. Around 1,200 tips were thought to be genuine leads. Detectives had a series of people that they talked to that Johnson & Johnson had terminated. The working theory was that maybe an ex-employee had done this to get back at them, but nothing ever panned out. And on Wednesday, October 6th, an extortion letter arrived at Johnson & Johnson, demanding $1 million to stop the Tylenol killings. The police eventually traced the letter back to James Lewis in New York City. For weeks, the investigation focused in on him. However, it was quickly established that he could not have been the person responsible for the killings, but he was now in trouble for attempted extortion. <laughs> and in 1995, after serving 13 years of a 20-year sentence for extortion, Lewis was released from prison. Beyond being a grim part of Chicago's history, this incident also had a profound impact on the U.S. drug industry. In 1983, Congress passed the Tylenol Bill, which made it a felony to tamper with consumer products. And in 1989, the FDA updated their policies requiring tamper evidence seals on all over-the-counter medications and the eventual transition in manufacturing to more modern caplets that are harder to tamper with than older medications. The lab test discovered cyanide-laced Tylenol in a bottle turned in by a Dominix near the Walgreens, where Paula Prince made her fatal purchase. In total, there were eight bottles discovered from seven different locations, but who knows how many were really out there, since most people just tossed their product after hearing the news. Now, 40 years after the seven deaths, the perpetrator of the murders has not been identified or apprehended by authorities, and the Tylenol murders remain unsolved. The FBI is no longer in charge of the case, since they consider it cold, but Chicago police departments claim it is still an open investigation. So that's the facts. Let's stick around and let's do a little speculation about some suspects, shall we? Right. So there you have it. There's the facts on the Chicago Tylenol murders. Um, now, the only suspect that we mentioned during the main part of the show was James Lewis. Mm -hmm. But there are a couple other suspects that are even less likely to do this than James Lewis, but still worth mentioning okay. um, in any episode about mm -hmm. this. Um, I think you would agree, yes. obviously. <laughs> um, but James Lewis... Like we said, he did write the extortion letter. Mm -hmm. He was a known con man. Yes. Right? He was a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. He was known to do these types of things. Yeah. So he kind of fit the bill. Mm -hmm. And he may have done this. Mm -hmm. He may have done this because when they questioned him about it 
And then while he was in prison for extortion, he was, quote unquote, helping the police yeah. um, in this investigation and telling how one might would do this yeah. in an extremely specific way. Mm-hmm. Extremely specific way. Like he had this this like cutting board, I guess, where he had drilled holes in it and you would mm-hmm. put the pills in there, you know, st- sticking straight up so you could easily fill each capsule. Yep. Um, with the cyanide, he had it all planned out and he talked about how he could do it in minutes. And that doesn't sound good. This sounds a lot like an OJ book. Like, uh, if I did it type of thing. (laughs) Yeah. It, it really, it really makes me feel like he is the strongest suspect. The Um, only thing though about it, as far as whether or not, like, I don't think he did it because, um, he was in New York. Um, I want to say at least a week. Before the killing started happening, right? Okay. And most of the scientists said that he wouldn't even be able to do it because um, that the the cyanide in the capsules would have started eating away at the plastic tablet okay. within 48 hours. So Okay, that's what I was about to say. So our time frame is very short. So whoever did this, mm-hmm. done it within two days or less, probably. Of the people consuming. Yeah, it. probably like that same day. And he had been seen... Because when they moved to New York, his wife almost already had, basically already had a job. Mm -hmm. So when they got there, she starts work immediately. And so there are eyewitnesses that saw him in New York the entire time that this was going on. So we know for a fact that they were both in New York at the time. Okay. So he's someone else just trying to tie his name to whatever the hell he can in history. Like we said, this man is very disturbed in himself. He's... He's a, a lifelong con man, extortionist. He's always looking he for something. He was some... suspected of murder. Yes. Back in, you know, before this, before any of this even happened, before right. the Tylenol and all that. Um, yeah. He is believed to have murdered and dismembered a, a man that he knew back Yikes. in his hometown. And, I mean, there is pretty good and, evidence that he did it. And if you're willing to do that, you sure as hell are willing to kill people you can't even see. Mm-hmm. And then he was so. also picked up again later for um, raping and assaulting another woman. Oh. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, the man's a piece of shit. Even if he didn't do it, he should have went to jail anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of murder, there was another another suspect mm-hmm. who would have been fine if he did not commit murder. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm 90% sure he didn't do it. Yeah. And that's Roger Arnold. Yes. Um, he was suspected of this because he was a DIY chemist and he was also stupid enough to brag about having cyanide at his home. Yes. And, and he how, was employed by Johnson & Johnson. Was employed, Tylenol. yes, was employed by Johnson & Johnson. And also, um, again, like James Lewis talked about how this could be done yeah. and how easily mm-hmm. this could have been done. Mm-hmm. Um, his house was searched and he did have some things he wasn't supposed to have, right? He did have some... They found like like drugs or of some say, sort, but no cyanide powder. But they they did conclude that it was harmless, whatever it was. Hmm. But they didn't find any actual. cyanide. They didn't find any actual no. cyanide. So, but regardless, he went to a bar one night and was he got drunk and was bragging about this mm-hmm. type of shit. And had a right? baggie of white powder. And had a bag of white powder with him, probably mm-hmm. cocaine. Yeah. Now in <laughs> hindsight, I mean, it, you know, in the eighties, they were like, yeah, cocaine, whatever, who cares? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. So he had he had whatever, and someone turned him in, most likely the bartender. It was the bartender, yeah. So, well, he didn't know that, but he suspected it was the bartender as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe he said this directly to the bartender, and then the bartender was kind of spreading the story or whatever. Either way, um, 
this was months after, right? Yes. He is be he's still being investigated because of this tip from this bartender that night. Yeah, he comes he under a was lot of pressure. Basically harassed yes. by the police. Um they did not let up on him. He wasn't able to so much as um and throw a public, rapper out the window without them knowing about it. Like they were watching him. The public bought it like they thought he was the one. Yeah. He looked like a I mean So it affected his day to day life mm-hmm. and it got to the point where he's couldn't take it anymore and he's like well i'm gonna take revenge mm-hmm. on this motherfucker who turned Suffered me in and nervous breakdown yes and he goes to the bar and waits for the bartender to come out kills him in cold blood only later to find out it was not the bartender no it was it was some innocent man who like he him. mistaked mm-hmm. for the bartender so he killed an innocent man and was sentenced to 30 years uh, for second degree murder. Yeah, he only served about half of that though. See, uh, that's so that's such a tricky thing. Like serving, like calling it second degree murder. It's like he did completely plan this whole murder. It mm-hmm. just wasn't of that person. Yes. That's why he got second degree. Yes. See, because that's it was thought of beforehand. Right, because yeah. it wasn't thought of beforehand. Because he killed the wrong person. Mm-hmm. But if he would have killed the intended target, it would have been first degree. Yes. That's so. That's so. <laughs> sketch you should still get first degree if you plan on walking up to someone regardless of who you think yeah. they are and shooting them that should be first degree murder you should get life mm-hmm. um but yeah it's neither here nor there but another innocent person died um because of this mm-hmm. because of these tylenol yep. murders really because yes. if it doesn't happen this person doesn't get killed mm-hmm. um so that's roger arnold and then there is one more suspect who i completely write off i just don't think that yeah, no she didn't do it no she didn't she was do just it. crazy uh and her name is Lori dan mm-hmm. uh she was a mental patient and she went on a shooting spree at an elementary school of all places um and she was an adult mm-hmm. she wasn't she wasn't a kid that brought a gun to school she killed one child injured five and then later committed suicide after taking an entire family hostage. And she also sent out poisoned food mm-hmm. to multiple people. Yeah. Um, ended up not working because apparently the food tasted so bad yeah. that they didn't eat she enough of it cook. to even get sick. Yeah. <laughs> so they were okay. Thank God she's a terrible cook. Um, but yeah, Lori Dan, I don't think is our suspect here. There was no way, shape, or form she was tied to these Tylenol murders. She didn't have cyanide. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, another thing about Lori Dan is we are going to cover her on True Crime Guys. Mm-hmm. So, guys, look out for that episode. It'll be coming out um, probably later this week. So keep an eye out for the Lori Dan episode because an interesting case nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, not exactly tied to the Tylenol murders, but I'm glad we found her. And it's a story that needs to be told. It is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so who do you think did? I mean, out of these guys... I'd have to go with James Lewis, but he wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and then Roger Arnold. Roger Arnold did look kind of sus, though, mm-hmm. right? You look at the pictures and you're like, oh, man, this guy does look kind of crazy. Like he, I mean, judging a book by its cover, <laughs> um, which a lot of times you say, can do in true crime. <laughs> but most of the pictures that are put that I've seen of him were after the attacks. Mm-hmm. So I imagine, like, the media is yeah. not trying to portray him very you know, absolutely moderately. absolutely yeah i don't think any of these people did it yeah pro- most likely not yeah and that's the most frustrating thing about it mm-hmm. the real person is probably living in the shadows 
you know, they did everything smart. They used gloves. And for the 1980s, you'd never be able to track it. Like, it's It just... makes me wonder, like, if but whoever why? didn't... That's what I was going to say. It makes me wonder if whoever didn't do it did it because um, perhaps they had a child that overdosed on medication because the lid wasn't on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And okay. they did this to kind of scare the company and the FDA uh-huh. into putting these things into place. Yikes. I know, right? It's a tough way to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I, I just don't think if if there's a better way like, to do it, I don't think we have I to mean, have somebody to s- die for every single cause. To scare the public. I think that was their point. Yeah. Was no, to scare I, the public. Oh, yeah, they scared the public. Because they wanted, possibly because they wanted these things in place. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Whether it was because of a person or a child getting a hold of it. Like, right. I don't know. To me, at these times, it seems like... Uh, like so you think end, there's some like vigilante... No, no. I mean, person out there that was like, I gotta make possible. this my cause. But I think it's more so like a, probably a group or organization even. Oof. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it could have been. It's kind of crazy to it think. It could have been a terrorist attack where they're just like, let's just randomly put cyanide in here. But I don't know. I just don't see how. Um, I just don't see that as an effective terrorist attack. Why? It terrorized a whole nation. Yeah, but your casualty count is low. And like when it comes to most terrorist attacks, uh, their whole point is like large, large uh, casualties in a short amount of time. I guess so. But by definition, just causing terror, causing panic. I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? They did a great job at that if Mm -hmm. they were a terrorist. I mean, either way, they're a terrorist, whether they're domestic or not. They are. I mean, it was like the first domestic terrorist attack most people consider on American soil, but I just, I don't know. I'm thinking like, it's not like the groups that we come to think of first, you know, at first, it's not them. It's, it's literally someone who either that or they were just trying to hurt Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, that you know could be yeah. could be a rival a rival health company even like, That's what could I'm have saying. sent people That's out right. It's you get just, real conspiracy it's just on it now. a little too like organized to think that it's mm-hmm. you know just some vigilante in his garage, and but it's like not quite organized enough to be like like Al Qaeda just when it like I'm like yeah it's yeah, just yeah. not high enough of casualty count for me to think it was them. Yeah, well, luckily you know what I'm saying if they had put it in food maybe. Yeah. But, like, why put it in Tylenol? I know. And I because know a lot was, of people take Tylenol. Because it wasn't protected and it was a very popular brand. Exactly. Just the fact that you could open up a Tylenol container in the 80s and just and put, put whatever you want in there and, then put, and then put it back on the shelf. Yeah. Like, the box wasn't even sealed. Mm-hmm. You know, most yep. pill bottles come in a small box, which is sealed. And mm-hmm. then you pop open the container and then there's a seal on that. And then yep. there's cotton in there and everything else. But... Yeah, but back in the 80s, it wasn't. You just opened the bottle, and there were the pills. Yep. And you could slide it back in the box, fold the tab back down. They actually figured out it was signed. Now, one of the doctors um, at the the hospital where the, the Janices were, the three that came in the same hospital. Yeah, the family. Um, he started to assume that it had to be poisoning because, you know, the fire department, like, evacuated the house thinking maybe it was gas mm-hmm. and things like that. And they did all these these uh, small like preliminary investigation stuff and didn't find anything out of the ordinary. So that's when they brought in the Tylenol and he began to think that it was poisoned. Yeah. And it was either him or a a police officer. Somebody smelt the bottle and it smelt like almonds. Mm. And I didn't know this, but only about 50% of the population can detect this smell. 
Oh, wow. Cyanide gives off a smell that smells like almonds, and only 50% of people can detect it. Oh, shoot. And one of them that were there were able to smell it, and they were like, that smells a lot like that other bottle did. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of like how, you know, they had it tested, obviously, but that's kind of how it started. They were like, oh, shit, yeah. Wow, that's that's a fun fact for you. Because none of them would have really been linked together because they all went to different hospitals. Right. You know, and it was... They all lived in different suburbs yep. of Chicago. And they weren't, yeah. like, brutally murdered or anything. So it wasn't like being reported to each hospital what was going on. Right, right. It was, you know, if it hadn't been for that family all dying, I mean, God. nobody would have even connected The Janus these. family, it's, got, it's one of the saddest stories yes. related to this. They lost three family members yep. in one day. And that... Um, his brother, Stanley Janice yeah. had, and, uh, Teresa had just been married oh, like a week newlyweds. before or something like that. Ah, oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. So they, within just a couple of months, they celebrated a wedding and then three deaths at the same time. Jesus. Well, hopefully something will come out one day on this. Like this is, I just don't know later, how though. Cause right? I mean, I know that they've taken DNA from James Lewis and mm-hmm. Roger Arnold and whatnot, but I mean, what are you comparing it to? Exactly. There what, was nothing what is on there the bottle. Co- yeah. There, like, what is there to compare it to? There's, there's nothing. no footage, nothing. It's just so clean. It's almost like you say, it's the more you think mm-hmm. about it, then we're like, man, maybe a, that's a, what an organization could have put this I've together. I've been reading it a lot. So I guess that's why in my mind, I'm like, no, look, all the, it just doesn't point to this. But. <laughs> Can't be a single person. <laughs> but then again, it could be. It could oh, be yeah, a single no, that, psychotic person, it could be. you know, who just wanted to cause harm. Mm-hmm. And they could have done exactly what James Lewis says and taken these pit, bought up, you know, all these different bottles of Tylenol mm-hmm. from these different stores, went out to their car. Filled them full of cyanide, yep. a couple of the pills. And then just you just got to put the back. top ones. Yeah, you know what I mean. You don't have to fill the whole bottle full of cyanide pills. Mm-mm. So and there weren't there were eight to ten contaminated pills in each bottle. Yeah. See. Yeah. And you, I mean, you only need one when it's a thousand times mm-hmm. the you know the limit of yeah. what you can survive. That's like that's insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. But guys, it's a little history lesson for you, and uh, this case is still open. As we said, uh, the Chicago Police Department does claim that it is still an open investigation, and maybe one day we'll see this resolved. But uh, until then, all we can do is speculate. All our sources are below the description of this episode. And of course, we got to check in with Lauren, and let's see what he thinks in this week's Lauren Synopsis. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis, breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren, it's time for Lauren Synopsis, breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up people, Lauren here, hitting my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. The Chicago Tylenol Murders, a series of random poisoning deaths resulting from drug tampering in the Chicago metropolitan area. So some scumbag thought it'd be fun to uh, get get a hold of some Tylenol bottles, uh, put some laced uh, potassium cyanide pills into the bottles, and put them back on store shelves. That's my theory. I don't think it was done in store. Um, I think someone got a hold of the bottles. Uh, there was apparently no glue or any kind of protecting protection on the box that the bottle came in. So you could easily carefully open the box without it ripping or anything like that get the bottle out there was no tamper proof packaging on the bottle itself you basically could unscrew the cap 
and then take the cotton out and put in whatever you wanted, take out whatever you wanted and put the cap back on with the cotton, put it back in the box. It was quite easy to tamper with uh, store-bought pills back in the day in medicine. Um, obviously, that all changed following these uh, random events where seven people uh, ended up taking these laced uh, potassium cyanide pills on accident, uh, thinking they were taking Tylenol and were dead within minutes. Um, I, I mean, I guess there was a few that went ended up at the hospital but still uh, passed away, but several of them were dead within minutes, having no idea, their family having no idea what the hell had happened, and police being uh, quite confused initially, especially paramedics responding to these calls where someone was having a medical episode and they get there and it's, and they were thinking it had to be a heart attack, but it didn't really fit the symptoms. And these, these especially the, um, you know, the Janice family, there was three members of that family in their twenties that, that passed away in the same morning in that house. One had bought the bottle, taken it home, taken one, passed away. Uh, the family called the paramedics. They came out, rolled this person dead right away. And the same day, uh, met, met several members of the family took the same pills, probably having a headache from experiencing what they just went through. And, and, uh, they would also succumb to the same thing. So just horrible. Cause I mean, we've learned how horrible it is to die from potassium cyanide in the Jim Jones episode, Jonestown. It's a horrible way to die. It's, it basically eats your insides. Um, so it's just an absolute monstrous thing to do. And I think there was a, a young girl, like an eighth grade girl who also was one of the victims of this. Um, now let's get into a couple of the suspects. You had Roger Arnold, who was a weird loner following a divorce. He was known to possess cyanide. He had bragged about it at the bar and one of the bar owners, um, turned him in. That was a man named, uh, Marty Sinclair. And he will come back up again in a second. But this Roger Arnold, he possessed cyanide. He was a weirdo, loner. He lied about his military experience, saying that he was a bomber when in fact he was like some of some sort of a bunk mate or something in military. Um, he had a one-way ticket to Thailand that was scheduled to take off a couple days after the poisonings. That's a big red flag. And also the fact that he was overheard saying that he wanted to throw acid on or poison people. And this was kind of the Chicago police's guy. This was their number one suspect, Roger Arnold. This was, and of course, when the FBI gets involved in this case and we have the, the widespread panic, uh, the nationwide panic, everyone's, all the stores are taking Tylenol off the shelves. If you bought some, they're telling you on the news to pour it down the toilet, get rid of it, which actually in, in hindsight, it's probably not a great idea that could make its way into the water supply. Ultimately, if you're, you're dumping cyanide into your toilet and it's going into the public sewers and anyways, probably not the best idea either. Um, but these, there was widespread panic. They took, uh, all the Tylenol off the shelves and whatnot. And the, of course the FBI gets involved in this. This is, uh, this has uh, become a big, big deal. It also became political, apparently, in the Chicago area. There was people that it just, they were trying to take advantage of the situation. They were in politics because it was an election year. Um, but nonetheless, the FBI gets involved and they have their suspect, who I'll get to in a minute. But uh, they were at odds always with the Chicago Police Department. Uh, that didn't help the situation. They had investigated, the FBI had investigated the Chicago Police Department for corruption uh, in years prior. And so they come in and, um, of course, they're not going to zero in on the same people. Um, but back to Roger Arnold, the 
Chicago police's suspect, and he they they zero in on him, um, getting a word and tip from this Chicago bar bartender or bar owner, saying that there's this weird guy named Roger Arnold that comes into my bar and he brags about having cyanide and he's a known liar and he's been also known to say things that you know he would like to poison people and things along those lines so they zero in on him and uh, he would ultimately be harassed by police to the point where in the summer of 1983 he would shoot and kill proving that he was a killer he would shoot and kill a 46 year old man named john stanisha who was a pro a computer programmer um, and he shot this man thinking that John Stanisha was Marty Sinclair, the guy who had turned him into police, you know, about basically ratted him out about having cyanide and got the, the crosshairs put on him by police. He was, he had held on to this rage uh, for two years and had begun to drink more and uh, began to carry a gun around looking for this Marty Sinclair guy. And one night when the bar closed, he saw who he thought was Marty Sinclair. It turned out to be John Stanisha. And he walked up and shot this man in the chest adding another victim to this whole thing. This, this murder never happens. Uh, John Stanisha is not killed in 1983. If, if it weren't for the Tylenol murders, because the police would not have, uh, and the, and not just the police, but also the local uh, newspapers and whatnot would not have zeroed in on Roger Arnold. It became known right away that he was a known suspect in the Tylenol murders, which is not a good thing because, and everyone is looking at you sideways. Um, he said that he was in fear that someone would randomly kill him walking down the street thinking that he had poisoned all these people. I, I get it. It's, it's awful. And it honestly doesn't seem like he actually was the Tylenol murderers. There's a much better suspect that the FBI had zeroed in on. Um, nonetheless, he would be convicted of that murder of John Stanisha in, in January of 1984 and serve 15 years uh, for second degree murder. And he would later die in 2008 and police would later exhume his body in 2010 and extract DNA from his femur bone. I'm not really sure what they have on file DNA wise. Did they get DNA off of the bottles or the boxes? I highly doubt it. It seems like the person clearly they've still gotten away with these murders. This is unsolved. They've gotten away with it to this day. I, I don't think that the poisoner uh, of these Tylenol bottles was dumb enough to not use gloves and things like that when you touching the packaging. So I don't know what they have DNA wise to compare Roger Arnold's DNA to from exhuming his body. They also, I believe later take DNA from my next suspect, the FBI's number one suspect and the guy that to this day still seems to be considered the most likely perpetrator of this crime. And that is James William Lewis. Um, he was accused of sending a letter to Johnson and Johnson following the poisonings. Uh, just, I believe like weeks after the poisonings, he sends a letter, uh, anonymously demanding $1 million, $1 million, $1 million to stop the cyanide induced murders. Um, it was basically, this letter was taking credit for doing the poisonings and saying, if you want these to stop, I can continue doing these. It's all too easy. I can, I can continue to poison people all over the country easily if you don't wire $1 million to this bank account, which turned out to be an inactive bank account that wasn't even in James William Lewis's name. Um, he would ultimately ultimately be tried and arrested for uh, extortion and sentenced to 10 years in prison for this sending this letter because police and FBI were never able to find enough evidence that he was, in fact, the Tylenol murder uh, poisoner. They could not... They, they just they just didn't have enough. But man, so many things about him were not right. 
Um, he seemed to enjoy and get off on people thinking he was the guy. He liked the back and forth with the police and even from behind bars serving that 10 year sentence for extortion. He did something very mindhunter esque. He offered uh, the FBI to sit down and try and catch the uh, Tylenol poisoner. And he came up with all these theories and drew all these pictures from behind bars of how someone would theoretically do it. Even something like a cheat. He drew a picture of a cheese board with holes drilled in it where you could put the pill capsules down in there and then put the cyanide on top of the board and scrape it across, filling all of the pill, the pill capsules. Uh, pretty fascinating concept. And he came up with all these ideas, uh, which is just such a, it would, it seems like the type of guy that would do this. It would be someone who would be uh, really get off on the attention. You don't do this if you don't, if you don't get off on, uh, the attention it gets, you know, he loved the widespread panic. Whoever did this clearly, why else would you randomly poison a group of people in a city? You're excited about reading the newspaper and what you've done. I imagine. So it sounds like this type of guy who would also love to sit down with police and theorize and very Hannibal Lecter-esque, um, he, uh, during the trial, he claimed that he intended only to focus the attention of the authorities on his wife's former employee. So he had this, this issue with his wife's former employer. Um, he feels that they had ripped off him and his wife and taken a bunch of money from them. Um, in January of 2010, both him and his wife submitted DNA samples and fingerprints to authorities. Um, and he, he later said, quote, if the FBI plays it fair, I have nothing to worry about. And he denies to this day all responsibility for the poisonings. And he's a free man. He's actually been seen uh, by reporters walking the streets and approached and questioned in which he said, at, at which point he basically said, I've been harassed for 40 years and I'm, you don't have the right guy. Um, but man, the FBI sure seems to think he's the guy. They just can't get enough on him to put him away. And once again, the DNA, they took DNA in 2010 from the two most likely suspects, Roger Arnold and James Lewis. So if they had some DNA on file that proved that, you know, this, the Tylenol murder poisoners, uh, DNA, if they had that on file, one of these two guys would already be, uh, they would already be convicted of these crimes and they have not. Obviously that was almost 13 years ago that the DNA was taken from the two of them. One by, uh, uh exhumation of the body and the other willingly by James Lewis. And so, We'll see if anything breaks on this. It also could just be someone completely different. It could be neither of these two. It could have just been the uh, James Lewis could have just been an attention whore who wanted to get himself involved and start writing letters. He was known as a he was a known counterfeit person and uh, con man. He was putting up fake mailboxes prior to sending this Johnson and Johnson letter that made him famous. He was he was already on the FBI's radar. They already knew who he was because he'd already been doing mail fraud. Uh, checking fraud, all sorts of things. And so this was his MO. And then he just sees another opportunity in these poisonings potentially. Um, so I'm not 100% sure he did it. I'm almost 100% sure that Roger Arnold didn't do it. Um, and it's a tragedy that he ended up murdering someone else. And he's obviously a bad guy for doing that. Um, I get his rage and, and anger for someone turning him in for whatever. But also, bro, don't possess cyanide and go around bragging about it and expect random people they don't know you very well to not tell authorities about such a thing, especially when a bunch of people around where the bars are that you hang out, start getting poisoned with cyanide. Of course, someone's going to fucking turn you in. It only makes sense. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This thing's been so it's, it's been so long now, you know, you're talking 40 plus years that 
it's going to be harder and harder if they don't have DNA or something physical from those tampered with bottles to connect to a killer. It's going to be really hard to, uh, for anyone to go down for this at this point, whoever it is, they've kept it a secret this long, unless it is in fact, James Lewis. Um, but I, he's not coming clean. That's become clear. He's, he's, he's living out his life. And so I don't know, maybe on his deathbed, maybe we get some deathbed, deathbed confession. I don't know. Maybe someone goes, uh, turns born again, Christian right before their death and wants to come clean about their sins or something. Maybe that's the only hope we have at this point to solving this and finding out who really did it. Um, but nonetheless, uh, super interesting. There was also a bunch of copycat poisonings following this. Unfortunately, that's the world we live in. People like to take things like this and run with it. We've seen it with school shootings over the years. Um, so there were several more deaths in the subsequent years due to copycat uh, poisonings like this. And thankfully, um, people like Johnson and Johnson, these companies that provide over the counter medicine, they've become much uh, better at tamper proofing their products so that it's very difficult to get a hold of the package and do something to it without it becoming obvious to the person buying it that it's been messed with. So with, uh, with the tragedy, a lot of times there comes some good out of it that can prevent further tragedies. This is an example of that. Um, but it's also unfortunate that there was no one ever, uh, legitimately, uh, 100% put away for this and, uh, giving closure to the families of the victims. That's my thoughts. A little lengthy, a little wordy. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you next week. All right, Lauren, thank you for that synopsis as always, sir. Oh, 14 minute synopsis. You guys were, you guys got it today. If you don't understand this case by now, you just, you just weren't listening. Heard it multiple times. <laughs> but thank you for that synopsis, Lauren. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Again, if you want to go down the rabbit hole that is the Tylenol murders, please check our sources below the description of this episode and get your feel. And if you want to get your feel of True Crime Guys, please check out patreon.com slash Guys for just five bucks a month. And you guys can pay yearly upfront for a 10% discount. For just five bucks a month, you get access to everything we make on the True Crime Guys network. Uh, that includes early releases of Strange and Unexplained on Thursdays instead of Mondays. You get Strange Shorts with myself and Andy every single Monday. You get Lauren's 5-Minute Murder Show uh, with video. You get Just the Banter, which picks back up this week. Um, for True Crime Guys, you get the True Crime Guys Patreon exclusive, as well as access to the TCG Vault. If you want to hear some of those early epi early episodes, um, I think 1 through 50 of True Crime Guys proper is in the vault currently, and we will be adding more very soon. So, guys, everything True Crime Guys, again, at patreon.com slash Guys. Um, you can also check out patreon.com slash podcast if you're just interested in the strange and unexplained content and the Sandu content, which is Sandu proper, uh, strange shorts every Monday, as well as Sandu stories and higher thoughts. You can check out patreon.com slash podcast and get access to all that for just three bucks a month. Okay, also check us out on YouTube. Go search True Crime Guys and subscribe to the official True Crime Guys YouTube channel if you will. We appreciate that very much. Um, also, you can give us a follow on social media at True Crime Guys, at SNU Podcast, and stay up to date on new released episodes. All right. And if you get a moment, if you're listening on Spotify, click that review button, leave us five stars. It helps the show 
big time. As well, on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, leave a, review, leave a review, leave a rating. We appreciate that very much, guys. It really helps the show, and it's fun and inspiring to read. All right, well, that's pretty much it. We'll see you guys next week for a new Strange and Unexplained case. All right, until then, be strange. Just don't be strangers. check out all the other programs on the TCG network. Every Wednesday, a new episode of True Crime Guys proper, Strange and Unexplained on Mondays, and Full House Fantasy Football on Fridays to start your weekend. And if those aren't enough, head on over to our Patreon account, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content, including older episodes and other Patreon exclusives like Strange Shorts, Sandu Stories, Higher Thoughts, and the 5-Minute Murder Show. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. Hey, how, do you, how do you shut this thing off? Over?